Hi everyone, welcome to the Shake Your Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 73, it's the 2nd of March, 23, and today we are thinking about whether it's time to leave the Church of England. So welcome everyone to the podcast today. Um, you may know uh, two or three weeks ago I did a podcast about whether it was game over for the Church of England. And uh, anyway, as comments on that, uh, one or two people asked me, well, what should we do now? You know, Is it time to leave the Church of England? What should we do? And I appreciate that, that I didn't really um, address that question in the um, in the podcast. So I want to try and look at that question in a bit more detail and I hope give one or two um, pointers as to, to things that we practically um, could do and should be doing um, and looking at some of the biblical principles as well. So that's to come um, a bit later. That's the main section of the podcast. Before we get there, some news and then uh, just a little um, thought that I had, a little reflection that I had this week after watching a film. Uh, so the big news this week is that the Telegraph have obtained uh, thousands of WhatsApp messages uh, from Matt Hancock and obviously messages that Matt sent to um, Boris Johnson and, and other people as well. Um, and uh, this has been obtained via Isabel Oakshot. And um, this is, uh, yeah, it was he, he gave her the messages as she helped him to write his book, his memoirs. Um, and uh, yeah, they've now been... Isabel has sort of released them into the public domain and, uh, you know, claiming that these are in the public interest, which I, I fully believe is is true. And uh, yeah, it, it just demonstrates, I mean, they haven't released everything yet. The Telegraph have been publishing articles, but it basically reveals everything that we um, lockdown sceptics, as it were, everything that we thought is true, basically, that the whole management of the last three years has been a it's been a clown show um as i think the daily skeptic puts it it's been a clown show you know that the decisions were made politically rather than actually following evidence and sound scientific principles and all of those things it was just a farce of politics and posturing and you know wanting to be seen to do something and that's exactly what we knew over the last three years, everything that we suspected, but now there is evidence via these these messages. I think, I mean, it's worth having a look just to see, uh, you know, it, it affects like things like school closures, it affects um, things like um, uh, the, the sending children back into, um, uh, sorry, sending um, care home residents back to their, their care homes without being tested, all of those things. Face masks were introduced in England, in English secondary schools, to avoid an argument with Nicola Sturgeon. All of that, so it's, it was all political, really, rather than actually being based on being based on evidence, all of those things. So do have a look at that um, if, if you have a strong stomach, but it, it just demonstrates that everything we suspected to be true is true. Uh, my only question, really, having looked at that, is: Are the public now going to be convinced? Um, I think you know it is unraveling. Uh, it, you know, the truth will come out, and I've I've said this all the way through that the truth will come out in the end. You can't keep the truth suppressed forever, and I think that's what we're going to see with uh, with the lockdown files. That the truth will come out, and uh, I just hope that people are listening and that it will actually change their perception. 
To be honest, I'm not sure it's going to make much of an impact. You know, it just seems like some people are so far down the rabbit hole that they it's like they can't possibly believe now that everything we went through over the past three years was unnecessary um, and was actually harmful. But, you know, I think there, there hopefully we're a good number of people who are open to being convinced and, and that could see the, the tide really turning. So, uh, yeah, um, do have a look at that. One thing which occurred to me... Um, which no one else has mentioned, just as I was watching this. Uh, it, I was um, interested to know that Richard Tice, who is, I think, the leader now of the Reform Party, used to be the Brexit Party, is partnered with Isabel Oakeshott. And when I say partnered, I mean, you know, sort of romantically. That they got together in 2018, and then Richard Tice left his wife in 2019. And uh, Isabel Oakeshott as well um, left her, her husband, although I think it happened before the relationship. Now, the only reason I mention this is because, you know, I do think public and private morality and integrity matters. And I wasn't at all aware of this, but um, I, I think it does change what I think of the Reform Party, actually, if Richard Tice got together with Isabel before leaving his wife. Um you know, I mean, you kind of expect that of the mainstream parties. But, you know, I do feel like what we really need is just people of integrity. And if you're prepared to lie in a private relationship and if you're prepared to treat someone not, you know, not treat someone well in a very personal way, then what does that say about what you're going to do for a wider sense for the country? You know, we do need just people of um, integrity personally and publicly. And, you know, that the integrity goes through your whole life, not just your public life, but your private life as well. That's not to say we want people who are perfect, because that would exclude everybody. But, um, yeah, I don't know, I just thought nobody is, is mentioning that, and I, I didn't know it. And so I just wanted to, to, to mention that, um, just in case that, that um, is, is of interest to you as well. Okay, so let's uh, move on. That was the big news. A few other little things, and I'll put all the links to these down below as well. Uh, on um, Gary Sidley's blog, Corona Babble, there was a good piece, We Must Never Forget the Covid Madness, a personal story by Jill Evans. Just really talking about her reflections um, and how she's kind of developed and changed over the last three years. And I thought that was a really good piece, and many people, I think, will be able to resonate with uh, with what she says so that's that's worth a read on laura dodsworth's substack there was a piece the new york times is wrong mask mandates didn't do nothing they wrought havoc and so there yeah there was a piece in the new york times the new york times of all of all places a few uh, weeks ago saying that the mask mandates did nothing and what laura dodsworth saying is that no they didn't do nothing they actually were harmful and you could probably add to that all of the other non-pharmaceutical interventions, um, you know, especially things like closing schools and forbidding people from seeing family and so on. They didn't just do nothing. They actually harmed people. And, you know, it's the case that there was no balance of risks and, and um, benefits. There was just only focusing on the risk of COVID with nothing else considered. And, um, yeah we mustn't forget that that the harm that they it wasn't that they did nothing it was actually that they did harm and that's what we must keep on um, persisting with okay moving on from um covid 
and lockdowns and so on. Um, I mentioned a few months ago Dr. Bernard Randall. He was the uh, the chaplain at Trent College in Nottingham, a Christian college with a Christian ethos. And he preached a sermon in the chapel basically saying that you don't have to, you can think for yourself when it comes to LGBT or, or other issues. You know, you are free to disagree. You can you can believe in what Christians have always believed about marriage. Um, you know, that's fine, that you'd think for yourself. And it was such a, a really a gentle kind of sermon, just defending people's free speech and right to think for themselves. And uh, anyway, he lost his job. He was referred to the, to the Prevent Anti-Terrorism Programme at one point. And um, he has lost his unfair dismissal case. He appealed against the, uh, for unfair dismissal and he's lost that case. And it seems that the judge just, you know, wasn't listening to, to any of the points that he actually made. It's incredible. Um, there's an article on the Daily Mail um, about this, which talks about it. And he himself, Dr. Bernard Brandle, has written about it as well in The Critic. So I'll try and put those links down below. Um, if you'd like to read more about it, it's it's a blow for free speech and for, for Christian freedom. But he is appealing. So please do you know, keep on praying for him uh, as well. And the final thing I was going to mention, a bit of news, is not far from Batley in Kesselthorpe, um, then four boys have been suspended. The reason being that they unintentionally caused slight damage to a copy of the Quran which one of one of the boys who was autistic uh, brought into the school at, because he lost a bet not not maybe the the best decision ever but nonetheless it should not be a, a suspension and it was there's no there was no intention of causing disrespect to the Quran and uh, unfortunately I say unfortunately I mean tragically the the police seem to have sided with the school in suspending these this this boy and, and these children and not with the others who were giving him death threats which he he received and it just seems time and time again these islamists or you know the the kind of um uh, violent element of islam is is appeased while the rule of law is not you know death threats are a matter of the law rightly whereas uh, defacing a copy of the Quran isn't. You know, the boy did nothing legally wrong. And, um, you know, this is the problem. You know, we've now got blasphemy laws against Islam, in a sense, even though this is not an Islamic country. That's what's happening. And it does seem to me that we are going down a very, very dangerous line here. And I think secularism is not going to to stand up against what's happening. Secularism is just going to capitulate because the the Muslims who are complaining are making they're threatening and they they seem um, dangerous. And so you say, oh no, well let's just you know it's better to suspend these boys rather than stand up for for rights and for free speech and and for you know so on. So once again, it seems like when the liberal values conflict with um, fundamentalist Islamic values, we know which win out. And I think, is that a picture of the future in, in our country? I hope not. But uh, nonetheless, I think that's a, another worrying development. And the, the teacher at Batley Grammar School who showed a, a, 
a caricature of Muhammad during a, um, a religious studies lesson is still in hiding, fearing for, for his life. So that's that's where we are. It's a really um, worrying place to be. And uh, I hope that uh, I genuinely hope that things change. Now, before we get on to the main topic, I said that I just had a little reflection, a little thought that I wanted to share with you. So a few days ago, we watched the uh, the Railway Children, the film uh, back from the uh, the 1970s, uh, the one with Bernard Cribbin, if you've seen it. And um, it was a lovely film and it's a, it was a classic story. And uh, the thing I love about it, well, I love many things about it, but it's the story of a Christian family who go through a, um, you know, a really terrible event that the, the father of the family gets, you know, basically sent to prison. Um, as it turns out, wrongly. And um, I said they're a Christian family. I mean, I think they're just a, a normal family, really, from that time period. It's set in the early 20th century. And they, they don't, they're not kind of overtly religious, you know. It's just um, things are mentioned. Um, so at one point, the, the eldest daughter says, you know, don't you remember your catechism? You know, do not steal, says the Lord. And uh, the mother says, oh yes, please do pray to God for and all prisoners and, and and so on so you know they're just a normal family they're just their devotion to god is just part of what they do but it's not like they're you know religious fanatics or anything they're just the normal christian family as many families would have been in those days and the community that they're in you know they, they actually move up to yorkshire and they become part of this this small community and I just thought it was such a, a wonderful and lovely picture of community life in a sense that they, this family just have so much care and concern for other people and they really make a difference in that, in that community. And, um, you know, the, the, they just don't have the concern for themselves. You know, they're, they're looking out for other people and they, they take people in, they look after them, you know, they um, want to get a, a birthday presents for for one particular member of the community and, and so on don't want to give it all away if you haven't seen it but I just thought what a wonderful picture of a local community who actually look out for each other and care and I, I just thought although this family you know they were um, when the father goes away they are poor you know because they don't have means to look after themselves um, but I just thought they had riches which we don't have you know they may have been materially poor they may not have had um you know all of the access to to the range of foods that we have they may have you know not had as much food as we have they may have not have had iPhones and all the luxuries of today and and so on and so forth but they were rich in other ways you know they were rich in relationship and in community and i just thought i mean if i had to choose one or the other you know the riches that we have today or what they had I would choose what they had and it seems that is you know and there was no there's no mention of the government as well you know the government were not involved in their lives or their community it was just them and the people in that community making a difference and I just thought that's that's something that's a vision that I can buy into in a sense you know just just a local community caring for one another trying to to help one another and you know seeking to to support one another in one, one another's needs that is what it should be about that is what life should be about and there is a richness to, to their lives which we don't have anymore 
And, uh, and I spoke to someone else about this and they said, oh, yes, when, you know, the street that I grew up in, you know, we didn't lock our doors. Everyone knew everyone. And and I think many people have said that to me, the way that England used to be when they were children. That's something I think we need to get back to. You know, I know we always talk about not knowing our neighbours. Um, but, you know, I think we need to get back to the to the community. And I really hope and pray that things will change in the coming months and years, that actually we will become a country where, where which have communities that actually care for one another rather than communities where everyone is just atomized and only knows people from their own networks like um, work or school or whatever but a community where we do genuinely care about one another and where we do work for the benefit and the the support of everyone and i think that will that that is will be the downfall of the world economic forum and their technocratic vision you know, that they cannot, that they can only have power over us if we are atomized, if we are fearful, if we are individual. But they cannot have power over a community that loves one another and cares for one another. They can do nothing in that situation. And that's what I was, that's what I was thinking, you know, that if we want to defeat these evils of the, um, you know, the technocratic vision for society, which is happening, we need to actually look out for one another. And we need to care for one another. And that is, that's a very Christian vision. But I hope it's a vision which, as a society, we will share and that we can we can buy into. So I'll just leave you with that to think about. That was something which I thought about um, this last few days. Um, just before we move on, um, if you'd like to comment or you know get in touch anyway then do uh, leave if you're on youtube you can leave me a comment if you're um either youtube or on the audio podcast you can join in on telegram the uh the, you have to get the telegram app on your phone on your, your smartphone but uh, i think you might be able to get a desktop a, a computer app as well for telegram if you want to um but the link is down below if you'd like to join in the the telegram channel and you can always email me if you'd like to, that's sacredmusingspod at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch that way. If you'd like to support the podcast, there's a buy me a coffee link as well. Uh, but I do appreciate all of the messages and all of the and everything which is uh, which, um, you know, you've been so generous to to to, um, to to get in touch with me. So thanks so much, everyone, for all of that. Uh, let's move on now and think about the Church of England. So today I wanted to address the question of whether it's time to leave uh, the Church of England. You know, to put it in the words of the clash, uh, should I stay or should I go now? now? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, there will be double. Um, actually, I'm not quite sure if that's really true. But, you know, should I stay or should I go now? That's, that is a question which a lot of people are asking, actually. And I think, you know, it's it's all very well to talk about some of the principles like I did a couple of weeks ago but um is is it possible to say more more definitively uh, what should we do if that is the case if it is time to to leave now i just put a question mark here just before we move on saying is it possible to give a definitive answer and i just wanted to flag up at the beginning that there is no one size fits all solution that everyone will have different concerns and priorities and I think that we do need to be somewhat um, kind of give each other a lot of slack in this way, because I don't think 
any one course of action is the right course of action. I think different people will come to different conclusions, even looking at, at what the Bible says. And, and I don't think the Bible necessarily spells out exactly what you should do in this situation. But I think we do have some guidance and I hope that you know I'm going to kind of um, make a particular case and other people might disagree. You might um, read other people but everyone agrees that we need to stay firm on the gospel and on the bible you know that's that's all taken as read so it is about how we best uh, do that how we best preach the gospel so with that said let's dive in then uh, i just wanted to start out with some biblical principles because i think that although the bible doesn't say what exactly you should do when a denomination goes bad because you know the denominations didn't they weren't really they didn't exist in in the early days of the church um i think that there are some biblical principles which we can draw from so i've got three sort of sets of biblical principles the first thing is talking about false teachers and and um and so on so this is what jesus said um in the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. So, Jesus is saying here that there will be false prophets, and he likens them to ferocious wolves. Um, he's saying that they will tear apart the flock. They will tear apart the flock that God has, that God has made, uh, that God has made his own through jesus and um and he says you'll know them by their fruits you know is are they bearing good fruit in terms of obedience to god in terms of righteousness and, and all of those things and um that's how you will recognize them let me just move on to what the apostle paul says this is acts chapter 20 verses 28 to 31 and this is his farewell speech to the ephesian elders this is what he said. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So, Paul says, I warned you night and day with tears that there would even be people rising up from your own number who are like savage wolves. They come in and they distort the truth and they are going to try and draw you away from the truth. Now, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talked about savage wolves or ferocious wolves who were going to come in and teach falsely 
I think we can say with some certainty that many of the bishops now in the Church of England fall under that category. And one of the tragic things about these wolves is that they are, or they claim to be Christian. I think it, you know, the, the, the implication of what Jesus and Paul are saying is that actually, in some ways, it would almost be better to be led by a non-Christian rather than someone who claimed to be a Christian but was just trying to draw people away for their own gain or for to fit in with society or whatever it might be. That actually, I, I think it would be better to be led by someone who was not Christian but who had a respect for traditional uh, Christian teaching than by someone who was just trying to to be like a wolf to draw away um, people from the truth so i think that is that is where we are that many of our bishops now i think rather than being shepherds are wolves Uh, maybe wolves in sheep's clothing but wolves nonetheless who are drawing people away from the truth so the second set of biblical principles um, let me read firstly from ephesians but among you There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Okay, so Paul again is saying that the church should desire and aim for holiness, that yes, we're all sinners, but we need to we need to not tolerate and promote sin, but actually we should be striving against it and we should be striving to, for purity, for holiness, and we should be looking to God for to become the people that God made us and, and wants us to be, you know, pure and holy and, and righteous. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words because God's, you know, the, the sinful, these sinful things provoke God's wrath, his anger. But instead, he says, do not be partners with them. So Paul is saying here that there will be people who de- who deceive and distort the truth. And he says, don't be partners with them. Don't be partners with them. Let me move on to what uh, John says. This is 2 John verses 7 to 11. Sorry, that, that previous um, previous passage, by the way, was Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 7. This is from 2 John, which is one of the shortest books in the New Testament. It's only you know, one chapter, really. So, um, yeah, 2 John verses 7 to 11. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. 
If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I think this is another uh, significant passage here. and John is talking about um, those who teach falsely about the identity of Jesus Christ, about not coming in the flesh, which I think must have been a particular issue for who he was writing to. But I think that uh, what he says is anyone who runs ahead, uh, and he uses that phrase being running ahead, and I think what he means there is anyone who adds to the gospel message, anyone who departs from the truth as he and the other apostles have revealed it to us, have taught us. Anyone who runs ahead, he says, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Don't even welcome them into your house. He says, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. If you give them a platform, you are sharing in their wicked work. So we've got two very strong passages here, which are saying about separation from false teachers, that we have to distance ourselves from those who are teaching falsely, not to be partners with them and not to give them a platform. We must not share in their wicked work. Now, I think this is a particular challenge in the Church of England because we are in an institution where there are, uh, if the bishops are teaching falsely, how can we not in a sense give them a platform if we're in the same church? And I think this is where I'm not sure that calls for visible differentiation or anything like that are really, um, you know, because I think the bishops have put themselves outside the church. You know that, as Paul says, no one who does these things has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I've said before, I'm not sure that the bishops are even Christian. You know, I think, I think they may once have been, but they've turned away from God, many of them. And how can we even be in the same church the same institution as them when they are leading people down the wide road to destruction rather than the narrow road that leads to life how can we not give them a platform you know even if we declare ourselves to be out of communion with the bishops even if we say well in our church we're teaching the correct things you are still associating with those who are immoral who are leading people down the wrong road and I don't see any way out of that I don't see in the Church of England with the legal situation as it is at the moment you know the bishops do have the legal authority that's something I mentioned before and we'll come back to in a second how can we you know be in the same seem to be in the same institution as them without you know, by, by the fact that we are there and the fact that they are there in some ways giving them credibility and saying, well, we believe in some sense you are still Christian and you are teaching rightly, even if we may disagree with you. Now, I, I'm just not sure that institutional unity is possible in those circumstances. And I think we have to take that seriously from what Paul and what John, the, the, the apostles, had to say. So the third set of biblical principles that I have, and these are just there are just three um, sets of principles that I had. These are more are more sort of varied, just looking at various different issues. Uh, the first thing is um, from the Nicene Creed, um, as we say uh, week by week, or we say frequently in in the Church of England and in many other churches, 
we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church there is only one church that a denomination may be an expression of the church but it is not equivalent to the church now i think this is really important because it does seem to me a lot of people seem to equate the church of england with the church in england and i think you know as someone who grew up in a free kind of independent church and then only came into the church of england when i was um 18 i think this is you know i don't feel like i've moved from the true church to or from not the true church to the true church you know i think my um my dad was a, a he's retired now but he was a baptist uh, pastor i don't think that he was pastoring a uh, a church you know people that were not part of the true church you know i think that there are many churches in this country and they're all part of the one true, true church that's what anglicans believe as well you know that the, the the church is where i think according to the articles where the sacraments are rightly administered and the word of god is rightly preached now what's interesting is if the bishops are not rightly preaching the gospel are they part of the church you know they've removed themselves from the church and there was a, a meeting they had in um, the london diocese about this where someone made the point that the bishops have removed themselves from the church rather than you know the true uh, believers removing themselves i think there is a, a lot of truth to that but if the bishops have removed themselves from the one holy catholic and apostolic church then does that follow that the church of england has also uh, removed itself and uh, as an institution maybe so but you know that you can never remove true believers from the church because that is just what the church is it is a communion of faithful people where the sacraments are administered where the gospel is preached that is where the church is and that is where it will always be um and we mustn't make the mistake that i think the church of rome did at the time of the reformation and I think to some extent still does today, of claiming the authority to itself to be the one true church. I do not believe that is right, actually, according to the scriptures. Um, and I think that we must be prepared to recognise fellow believers in other denominations and recognise that there is a unity that we have, which is greater than institutional unity. It's like the debate that Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott had back in the 1960s, um, I won't go into that anyway, but um, uh, that that's what John um, Martin Lloyd Jones is calling for, saying we have more in common believers uh, from all denominations rather than you know you in the Church of England with your bishops. And uh, he said that you have a paper church, you know that it was doctrinally orthodox on paper, but actually not in practice. And I think I think actually Lloyd Jones seems to have been proved right. It seems to me. Um, so we mustn't confuse a human institution with the church there is only one church it is god's church and it is just the faithful who belong to the lord um, under the, you know the sacraments and the gospel uh, the gospel preaching uh, the second principle that i've got on this this the second thing that i've got here is um, as paul said there woe to me if i do not preach the gospel i think that gospel ministers our first and primary calling is to preach the gospel not to fight the denomination 
And I think this is a point which is very often overlooked, that people talk about, you know, well, you've got to fight for the truth, you've got to fight. And I think, yes, you do. But what does that really look like? I don't think it means getting embroiled in more and more wearying battles with the, nom with the denomination. Now, I think at the end of the day, we have to be a witness to them and saying, if you're going to go down this road of, of, of departing from the church, departing from the faith, then we are leaving then we are not going to, to be any more part in this. We are going to leave and we are going to preach the gospel where we are, not from within the institution. Because our, our, I was ordained to preach the gospel and that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to leave and I'm just going to get on with preaching the gospel. And that will actually be what has more effect in the long run. People hearing the gospel message and people being built up in faith. Um, I sometimes think people talk about it as if our goal is to save the Church of England and I don't think that that's within my or anyone's power to do that's in God's that's God's prerogative you know we need to do what God has called us to which is to to preach the gospel first and foremost and anything that distracts from that I think is um, you know that that's a problem and especially as the Church of England gets worse and worse it, the distraction is going to get worse and worse too um, a third thing I've got down here, those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. God says, those who honour me, I will honour. Now, I think this is um, saying that those who honour the Lord and who make decisions based on honour for him, God will bless. And I think we've seen that, that churches that have taken the step of saying, right, I'm disgusted with the Church of England and we are going to make steps to break ties and you know, step out in faith. I think God does bless that because it is based on honour for the Lord rather than pragmatism of saying, well, I think we should, you know, I think we should keep the church, keep the building, keep this, keep that, um, you know, keep the pension and the paycheck. In some cases, um, I think that you know God does bless the decisions which are dif the difficult decisions which are taken under honour for God, and I know that there are churches who have left their denominations not just in the Church of England, but in other places like in America or in the Scottish Episcopal Church, who have gone down a wrong road, who have left the denomination and found a blessing there through honouring uh, the Lord. And again, this is not to say that churches that choose to stay. Uh, are not honouring the Lord, but that should be our supreme concern, is who we are honouring. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's, in my experience, it's actually been, um, you know, there is a real blessing to be found in just, you know, putting, saying, this is a difficult decision, but I'm not going to go pragmatically. I'm going to do what I believe in principle to be right. And um, that's that's what we need to be to be focusing on. The final thing on this on this uh, this slide here, um, as uh, Jesus, uh, a description of what Jesus said in. The final thing I've got on this slide here is uh, from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five to thirty-eight. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I think those words could just as equally apply to today. And I think they apply to every age, really. But particularly to, to today, when it just looks like the work, we're facing an uphill battle in society. You know, and what we need is to go out and to preach the gospel amongst people who need to hear it. We need to be discipling people in faith. We need to be preaching the gospel, helping people to, to, to know about Jesus, to bring them face to face and to, to make them, you know, uh, understand who Jesus is and what it means for them. At the task of evangelizing is the, the word that we, we, we use for that. This is what we need to be focusing on. And what we need is not to be tying up workers who should be going into the harvest field battling in general synod or in diocesan synods or, or what have you. I think that can be such a wearying battle. And I, I see that now that so many people, I think, are just disheartened by what's happening in the Church of England. And I think, you know, we need to raise our eyes and look, you know, in our in our parish, in uh, where I am, there are um, oh, 25 or, or so thousand people. Of that, of that number, we have, say, round about 120, 150 who come to church on a Sunday. So that is about, uh, what is it, 1% of the parish, less than 1% who come to church on a Sunday. So that means we've got 99% of the parish who do not come to church on a Sunday. We need to be focusing on them. And I think all of these battles around the Church of England, around parishes, you know that it's not like that it's not like there's there's you know not enough to do that we need to be sending out more workers into the harvest world we need to be focusing on how we can build how god is leading us to build his kingdom rather than on just these battles with the denomination and i see that in so many of my friends who have been on general synod who have been you know in, in um, battling away in local churches that they're just weary of it all and weary of seeing the bishops just making stupid decision after stupid decision not focusing on sending sending money into where it needs to go you know that that money comes with strings attached and you're lucky if you get anything you know and just cutting down cutting down i think no just you know we need to be focusing on building we need to be focusing on proclaiming the kingdom we need to be focusing on sending workers out into the harvest field rather than on you know cutting back and all the stuff the other stuff that the bishops are doing at the moment that's my view so um i just like to to deal with one objection which i um used to hear quite a lot i was part of a group on facebook who were of um christian a Christian group on Facebook and we used to discuss the staying in or leaving the Church of England thing quite a lot and that was before the latest developments of a couple of weeks ago but one thing which one passage which got quote quoted constantly and it used to annoy me was this from John chapter 10 verses 11 to 13 Jesus says I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So obviously Jesus mentions the wolf here. And if you see what, what he said elsewhere about wolves, we know who the wolves are. They're these, these false teachers. So who are the hired hands? 
Well, I don't know. I think that Jesus could be talking here about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who who stood by and did nothing when the uh, when the you know the false teachers came in. Um, it's not entirely clear, but he is saying though that we need to be those who are appointed to be under shepherds of the flock, which um, we know is applies to those church leaders who are, you know, if you like, under shepherds of Christ to look after his flock in a particular place, need to stand up against the wolves, and that much is true. But I don't think that means that you know staying in a denomination. I think that could mean protecting your flock from the wolves by taking them out away from the wolves and saying no come out and come away come into a separate field i don't think it means staying into battle and looking for you know a victory which may end up being a pyrrhic victory you know i think that actually to to be a, a shepherd rather than a hired hand in the way that jesus describes is could mean you know actually what is best for the flock well what is best for the flock might be taking them into another field where there are less wolves, where there aren't any wolves. Um, you know, leaving them in a field where there are wolves uh, could actually be seen as being more like a hired hand sort of thing to do. So I, I don't think that this automatically says, you know, that if you leave, you're like the hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep. Um, but actually, you know, we need to we need to be prepared to care for um, for people by leading them and leading them away from the wolves if that is if that is the right thing to do. So let me finish with a concrete suggestion anyway about some action which can be taken right at the moment. Um, the first thing is immediately. Uh, you can declare yourselves to be out of communion with ungodly bishops and it's possible to withhold parish share as well and I know a number of churches have done that have said we're in impaired communion now with our bishops we're going to withhold parish share Um, the parish share by the way if you don't know is the money which gets paid to the diocese from each parish church and um, uh, it's uh, it's possible to stop those payments and I would suggest that would be a really good thing to do. Uh, and if you're um, not in uh, you know, on the PCC or what have you, you don't know about that, ask your your vicar or, or what have you about the money which is going to the diocese if you're paying it, because I think it'd be good to put a little bit of pressure on to say, uh, you know, well I'm not I don't want to give if my money is going to, to support false teachers, and have that kind of discussion. Um, but I think we do need to consider the future here. I think we do need to consider what happens when, uh, you know, for, for the, with the best will in the world, a vicar who, you know, an incumbent who preaches the word of God, who preaches faithfully and who leads people down the narrow way, someday they will move on or retire. What happens when they do? Well, the answer is that it goes to the bishop and there is no legal way around that. And I think that we need to be thinking more long term. We rather than just kind of hoping that things will change in our generation in the Church of England, I think we need to be planning for the future and saying, well, if the bishops do not change 
And if the bishops are going to, um, you know, be the ones in in charge of appointing people in this church in the future, then we need to make sure they do not have that power. And I think we need to take that power away from them by uh, making plans to plant a new church outside the Church of England. That doesn't mean not Anglican. Now, there are other options like um, you know, GAFCON. There's the Anglican Mission in England. There's the Anglican Network in Europe. And they actually have a page on their website about um, alternative Episcopal oversight, if that's uh, of interest to you. But I think we need to be prepared to actually say, when I retire or when I move on, I want this church to be safe and secure. And I do not want the bishops, as they are at the moment, to have the power to actually appoint someone who will be ungodly and lead and be a wolf, lead people in, in wrong ways. And the only way that I think we can do that is by removing removing uh, the church from their authority by effectively planting a new church outside the structures and the institution of the Church of England. And, you know, is that abandoning the flock? I don't think so. That Actually, I think we should say we need to take as many people as we can. Um, you know, i.e. Uh, possibly even moving a whole church outside the Church of England and just saying, you know, well, as a church, you know, we are going to just meet here and it's not going to be within the Church of England anymore. Unfortunately, I think in the, the Church of England, legally speaking, um, it hasn't been legally tested yet, but I believe it's not possible to take buildings and vicarages uh, because those belong to the, the Church of England in, in a way which that it doesn't in America. Um, uh, so I think there are, um, you know, finding alternative premises, it's, it'll be a really difficult thing to do. But as I said, you know, I think this is a decision that will honour the Lord. And it's not a decision which has to be, you know, it doesn't mean immediate action. I think to start planning for something is not the same as to do it straight away. But nonetheless, I think that is what I would suggest that we need to look towards, actually planting new churches outside the structures of the Church of England. And there are benefits of church planting. I, I learned at college um, when I was learning about pastoral leadership that growing um, that uh, church planting churches are growing churches and uh, that's because you know, to be a church planting church you have to intentionally commit to evangelizing and discipling new believers which is what we should be doing anyway but I think a lot of churches kind of get quite complacent about that and just become you know very um, you know just laissez-faire about about that um, and actually you know that we should be intentionally uh, discipling people discipling new believers that's why i started up my other channel understand the bible you know to help uh, people who have no christian background to to kind of get up to speed to learn the things which they need to know about what it means to be christian um, so that's a resource you can use if you'd like um, but you know that just being intentional about bringing people to faith and um, you know how how to you know depending on the power of the Holy Spirit as well, you know praying daily for for new believers, praying daily for people um, you know people in your community to be converted. You know just trusting that God will bring the growth. Um, I think that's something that we need to be committed to, 
and that will lead to new church planting and that's what's best for the country and best for our communities you know is actually if the gospel spreads if new churches begin and um you know i think to some extent the question of the, the question then of you know being in or out of the church of england will be a moot question you know if the gospel just flourishes outside the church of england because the church of england is making it so difficult to spread the gospel and to start new churches then it's just going to be clear where god is at work isn't it um and that's my my third point there that i had is you know just focusing on mission rather than on battling the denomination you know so many people uh, like i said i think i've just got weary of battling the church of england and battling their own bishops even and you know we need to be satan is out there in the world and you know the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so we're told in in the new testament we need to be battling him for the souls of unbelievers not battling for the souls of the, the bishops you know i think that at the end of the day we are there to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world to win people for christ uh, and that is that is our primary calling again you know we need to focus on and you now i was talking earlier um those who honor me i will honor i think stepping out in faith and planting in new churches planning to plant you know depending on the lord i think the benefits really do outweigh the risks you know that when we take a step out in faith like that then i think god can and will bless we just need to look to him to do that so i appreciate that i've gone on for a little bit here i apologize if this has been a little bit long and if this has been a bit um you know um out there um i've made my position clear i hope and i like i said i i don't think there's a one-size-fits-all strategy i don't think that everyone who's in a church of england church or every church of england ministry should immediately resign their positions and go and you know uh, what have you i think the line has been crossed and i think now that you know, what we need to start doing is thinking outside the church of england and thinking if that's the way that god is leading then that is the way that we should follow and if you if you're a church leader i know that there are some church leaders who do watch this or listen to this podcast that is what i would say is, is start leading your church and thinking about church planting and thinking about you know other options which options might be good uh, gafcom anglican uh, network in europe and, and so on those things and maybe exploring that more formally if you're not a church leader and that i'm sure that describes most of you then maybe just talk to your incumbents or talk to other people in the church see what they think about this you know, try and get a bit of momentum going if if you're not happy with the way that things are in the church of england then make your feelings known you know because i think a lot of church leaders are they're struggling at the moment with things happening after covid with you know just just thinking about this stuff but if they know that there are people in the church who are really unhappy then they will act and i i would say just don't don't be afraid to make your feelings known and to try and build some support as well in your church uh, about this so yeah um that is that is where we are if you'd like a little bit more on this um melvin tinker that sadly the late melvin tinker um he died a, a couple of years ago but he led his church in hull out of the church of england and um, he did it you know sort of before uh, things really kicked off um, but he recorded an interview with tim dieppe um, from christian concern and um, it was uh, called leaving the church of england was necessary to maintain and promote the faith uh, 
and you can see that interview on YouTube. It's about an hour long, and you might be interested in his thoughts about that uh, as well. So I'll put the link down below um, if you're interested in uh, in uh, that that interview. So I apologise that this has uh, gone on a little bit longer than um, uh, than usual um, with my uh, reflection, and then the main section was a little bit on the longer side, I think. So um, let's just finish with a um, with a prayer. I think we need to pray about everything that's happening, and particularly praying for guidance about what I've been talking about. You know, I've I've kind of set out my my thinking and my reasons. And I hope that that's given you something to think about, at least, even if you disagree with it. But uh, let's pray for God's wisdom and pray that, above all, the gospel would really shine in the church, uh, in God's church, you know, the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church at the moment. So, Heavenly Father, we pray uh, coming to you now, just knowing that things are bad at the moment in the Church of England. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us and lead us to the right course of action um, wherever we are, wherever, whatever our situations. We ask uh, for your blessing and your leading hand in uh, what to do now. And we pray that you would help us to make good decisions and decisions that will enable your gospel to flourish and your gospel to shine forth from the church and that many people would see the light of the truth and come to the, to the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the way that you you said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we pray that you would uh, prevail now against this darkness and unbelief across our land and especially within the church. And we pray that you would help us to play our part, whatever that may be, in spreading your light and uh, leading us forward. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Don't forget to uh, leave a comment if you want to, uh, leave a telegram message or um, email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. There's the Buy Me Coffee link. Uh, all the links are down below. Uh, apart from that, God bless, and I hope to see you again next week.